0: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save
1: progressive presents forest metaphors about bundling your home and auto
2: Welcome one and all to the x I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send us an email, x exxon at x TV.com on all social media sites, x Radio TV. And to listen to us 24-7, 365, you can go to the x Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, and simply look at their programming guide. And we're heard around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, I Radio, iHeartRadio, Media. And, of course, Simul Radio and Simul TV. And to find out about the broadcast listing for the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, visit simultv.com. My guest this hour, ExONation, is Thomas Hatzis. He is an author, lecturer, and historian of witchcraft, magic, Western religions, contemporary psychedelia, entheogens, uh, and, and, and medieval pharmacopoeia. Joining me now is... Thomas, uh, Tom Hatsis, And Tom, welcome to the X-Zone.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. It's great to be here. What
2: started you on your journey into being the psychedelic witch?
3: Ooh, well, it, it happened over time, really. Mm-hmm. I uh, always had a, a penchant for um, uh, things like witchcraft. I, as a kid, I, I would watch DuckTales cartoons with my brother and, you know, just totally enamored by the idea of potions and magic and uh... psychic abilities uh... different kinds of phenomena things like that uh... when i was fifteen years old uh... my older brother uh, pretty much forced me to um try to make it snow one day uh he he didn't want to go to school the next day i don't know if he had a a tester or something i don't (laughs) recall but he didn't want to have to go to school so he kind of just grabbed me by the shirt the way you know older brothers do and he said you're one of those people i know you can make it snow so i need you to make it snow tomorrow and I had no idea what I was doing so I I went outside and just took some grass some dead grass off the lawn and put it in a a pot of boiling water on the stove and then just tried to concentrate on making it snow somehow and um so that didn't work at all but um it was just it's funny because my my older brother had recognized that in me I think before really I even had and um So I just started reading books about the occult. At that Mm -hmm. point, I I tried and failed to write a vampire novel. Uh, This was back when Anne Rice was very big, and I also wanted to write a a vampire novel uh, with some witches as well. And um, I got about 50 pages in, and it just really stunk, so I stopped writing it. And um, then around the age of 18... I had my first encounter with um, psilocybin mushrooms, and my my first thought after the experience was just like, "Oh wow, you're not really weird. You're just you've just been a witch your whole life. That's all this is." And so I started writing songs and uh, playing in bands that had kind of a an occult or psychedelic uh, bend to it, mm-hmm. and um, then I uh, I kind of didn't really like being in bands too much because you have to rely too much on other people that might not have your motivation. So I turned to writing books about uh, the occult and uh, psychedelia instead because then I only had to depend on myself.
2: Way to go. Congratulations. So how many books do you have? I, I believe that you have three books, am I correct?
3: I've written four, but uh, three of them are in the field of psychedelia. My first book is titled Roller Derby, The Sensation That Caused a Book, Confessions of a Roller Derby Mascot, is about my travels in the roller derby underworld. And my my three (laughs) books in the field are uh, The Witch's Ointment was my first, and then my second is Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, and my third is Microdosing Magic, a Psychedelic Spellbook.
2: Where would you say your your strength lies when it comes to the occult?
3: Mostly from. Um... Using my own symbols and Mm -hmm. things that uh, make sense to me growing up, right? um, I find that um, you you know different magical traditions are all well and good and there's certainly a lot of benefits to that and you get a lot out of it I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm also a member of the OTO which is a ceremonial magical group and um, You know their their prescriptions are nothing like the things that you know I do myself when I'm doing my you know weird little witchy things. Right. Uh, so um, you know they have their their symbols and of course I go along with all of that when I'm doing ceremonial magic with my peers mm-hmm. uh, but when I'm doing my own kind of stuff or with my my magical partner we use symbols that uh, you know really strike us so for example I um, like my my pantheon as far as goddesses and gods are all from ancient Greece and Rome because those are the ones that that make the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I'm seeking uh, some form of wisdom, um, you know, if I'm seeking to invoke wisdom in myself, I'll I'll invoke somebody like Athena, who is the goddess of wisdom. Or if I'm doing art magic with my partner, we'll invoke the muses. Again, it's because these symbols, you know, they 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 touch me in a way that other symbols do not, and that makes anyone's magic more powerful.
2: Tom, why do you think there are so many people in today's society who still fear the word occult?
3: Because they don't know what it is, right? <laughs> they they don't know what it is. Uh, they they've seen too many movies. They probably think that something occult, you know, means that it's a bunch of creepy mm-hmm. characters in dark robes wearing like claw rings and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, you'll you'll meet a magician, you know, in your day to day life, and you'll have no idea that that person is is a magician at all. Exactly. Like they'll look very very, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, they'll look very normal looking. Uh, whereas I will say, on the opposite end of the spectrum. When you meet me, you know you're dealing with a witch. Why? Um, I tend to wear shoes a lot less.
2: Okay. Do you wear a pointed hat? Do you carry a broom? Do you have a black <laughs> hat and a kettle?
3: Uh, you know, it's funny. A, a friend of mine got married uh, last year, and it was the first time I, at, at the wedding ceremony yeah. I, I wore a pointed witch's hat. <laughs> uh, and um, I did. It did. And it was great. Um, yeah. And as far as uh, brooms, uh, they're great for sweeping. You.
2: Tell me, do modern witches use the uh, battery-operated vacuum cleaners now? Or do they still rely on the good old handmade husk broom?
3: I would say it depends on the size of the mess in your kitchen. Ah, there you go. There you go. You know, if I I spill some herbs mm -hmm. on the floor, I'm going to go right to the broom. But if I spill tomato sauce, uh, no, I'm kidding. Then then I'll go for the Kleenex.
2: (laughs) You know, over the years doing the show now, we're in our 29th year and I've had oh, the opportunity I thank you I've had the opportunity of speaking to many members of the wiccan community and the different covens and so on and you know what they're all so darn nice I yeah, haven't many people Yeah I I know that and I've had a, <laughs> I've had the pleasure of actually going and meeting these people uh and and watching being invited to watch some of their ceremonies and in my opinion and this is something I try to get across to the listening audience and and the viewing audience is that witches or Wiccans are the keepers of nature. You're very, you know, know, the the founders uh, of um... Greenpeace, for example, Wiccans, any organization that has the best interest of Mother Earth, you're going to find Wiccans and witches. And I, I, th- I think that throughout history, witches have received a bum rap from the other established theologies because witches and Wiccans posed a threat to the survival of other religions. If it wasn't for witches, we'd have no pharmaceutical industry. We'd have no naturopaths. We'd have no herbology. We'd have a lot less than we do right now. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. That's a good point. It's a very good point. I mean, if you see a piece of trash on the ground, rest assured, no witch put it there. (laughs) We don't do that.
2: Yeah, um, we're we're in the month of October. Next week is Halloween. How do you as a witch feel about the way that Halloween and witches are commercialized?
3: Uh, you know, Rob, I gotta say, I go back and forth with it. Uh, uh-huh. Every now and then, I I like to think that this is help. This will help normalize the idea for people. Right. But then another my 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 better judgment says, well, this is really just a kitschy rewrite of what witchcraft actually is i yeah. mean you know when you see halloween decorations of witches i mean that's not what a witch wo- i mean a witch looks like me mm-hmm. you know a witch looks like my partner you know my tree hugging gaia worshiping friends like that's what they look like they, you know we don't all have green skin and um you know it's uh it's weird it's it, it, in some ways it's just it's such an odd thing because you you try to legitimize something like that and i would say that it's probably no different from how a christian might feel with the commercialization of christmas exactly Um, you know, they probably look at it like, oh, you know, that that's that's cool that it's embracing more people. It's more of a sexual, secular American or Canadian or European cultural thing than a religious thing. But for the hardcore Christian, that might be an affront. Now, for me, I don't feel affronted by Halloween. I love Halloween. I'm, I'm waiting for the day that they mix Halloween, New Year and my birthday into the ultimate holiday.
2: Hey, let's work um, on that. We've got to take our first break. Uh, Tom, please stand by. Exo Nation, Tom Hattison. Hatsis is our special guest. He is the Psychedelic Witch, and his website is www.psychedelicwitch.com. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And, of course, you're watching us and listening to us around the world on Simul Radio and Simul TV. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Tom Hatzis is our special guest. He is the Psychedelic Witch, and his website is psychedelicwitch.com. You know, I'd just like to, to mention something. We were talking about Halloween and, and Christmas before. And in today's society, there are a number of religious organizations and theologies that are disputing the fact that, ha- that Christmas should be celebrated because it goes against their religious beliefs. And yet, I have not heard any one religious philosophy or organization say the same thing about witchcraft or, or Halloween I should say. I find that amazing.
3: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um I think we're 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 more the uh you know live and let live crowd. So true. you know we we try not to get too uh you know too worked up over things like that. You mm. know, if people want to celebrate Halloween however they want, you know, who am I to interfere with anybody's will? True.
2: Very true. And plus uh you know, Christmas is backed by Santa Claus and Jesus, and and Halloween is backed by the American and Canadian Dental Association. There you go. <laughs> Let's talk about your first book, The Witch's Ointment. Uh, tell us about it.
3: So uh, the witch's ointment is uh, the first ever in-depth study to show the kinds of entheogenic and psychedelic traditions among medieval wise women. Mm -hmm. And uh, also show how the Catholic Church demonized those practices as trips to the devil. Uh, The the witch's ointment itself Mm -hmm. was the the vehicle that uh, was used to fall into these trances. I mean, they used things other than ointments, but the ointment uh, became uh, the stereotypical way to fall into these trances because it was a way to demonize women more who were more prone to using these kinds of ointments
2: so what would be the content of these ointments
3: so the content we have a few recipes uh from uh the early modern period uh they mostly contain uh solanaceous plants like mandrake and henbane uh you also get some detora and belladonna and also opium sometimes things that will knock you into a very deep but lucid and very vivid uh, dream state where you actually feel like, You are awake within your dream. At least that's the kind of effect um, something like henbane and mandrake will certainly have on you. So what these women would do is fall into these trances and they would meet their goddesses, uh, their fertility goddesses in this other world. And the goddesses would teach them the virtue of herbs and stones and how to heal and prophecy and essentially give good advice and help to their communities.
2: What What is the origin of these goddesses? What do we know about their history from where they came and, and how they were introduced into into society and culture?
3: Wow, that's a great question. I mean, this goes all the way back to prehistory, Rob. I, you know, th- these wise women of the mm-hmm. Middle Ages um, were worshiping pagan survivals. Of If we were in the ancient world, we would call, you know, in Egypt, let's say, we would call her Isis. If right. we were in Greece, we would call her Demeter. If we were in Sumer, we would call her Inanna. Whereas in medieval times, if you were in Italy, they called her Madame Oriente, or Epiphania, uh, or Benasozia. If you were in France, she was known as Satia, um, or Domina Bundia, the Lady of Good Abundance. In Germany, she was Frau Holt, Frau Helt or und holt, or different old names. So mm-hmm. these are all just, it's the same great goddess that was worshipped in the ancient world, just evolved into these highly localized forms of herself. And that's why you get so many different names for her uh, throughout medieval times that, that the uh, the witch's ointment takes place, The uh, my book, I should say.
2: Is there any crossover between the, the European and uh, the earlier times and, and the... Uh... The North America of Native uh, Indians or or citizens
3: is. That, uh, could you repeat that? Sure. I, I'm, All right.
2: I in 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 the with the North American natives mm-hmm. prior to the the um, migration of the Europeans who brought their cultures with them, their beliefs. Was there a, was there any such practice being done by shamans or medicine men within the Native Americans?
3: you know that's a that's a really great question that i don't have the answer to i haven't really studied at all uh like the indigenous populations Mm -hmm. and their practices um but that's i am definitely going to look into that though that's that's i i hadn't even considered that
2: so in your opinion what is the theological formulation of the stereotypical witch now
3: so this is um this is going to take a second uh the theological formulation of the stereotypical witch has to do with creating a, an unreal version of these wise women so the stereotypical witch is usually a woman although sometimes it's a man the usual usually a woman who flies through the air on an ointment covered broom the ointment made out of the flesh and blood of murdered children and the she will fly to a demonic congregation called the Sabbath where she will learn evil magic known as maleficia and she will copulate with demons, and she will drink blood and worship the devil. Now, obviously, nobody was ever doing this in history. Right. That is what was just said about these wise women. So that's the theological formulation, and it's mostly jo- derived from fears about what heretics are doing, and fears what Renaissance magicians were doing, and mostly fears of the powers of these of these shamanesses, these local village uh, wise women. So a great way to destroy yeah. somebody is to kind of strawman them, or in this case, straw woman them, set up a, an unrealistic, you know, idea of just how bad these women are to, you know, kind of get their communities to turn against them. And sadly, it was very successful, this, this campaign from the Catholic Church, very successful.
2: Well, plus it also drove the, the, uh, the scared individuals within the community back to the church, thus giving them more and more control.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, uh, you're spot on with that. In, in a lot of the sermons that I, mm-hmm. I translated to write the witches Oyman, I mean, you you have one priest, uh, Bernardino of Siena, he literally says, you know, why are you going to the dog-faced old woman of your community? Like, you know, kind of like he was feeling left out here, like, guys, what about me? Yeah. You know? So, you know, that absolutely, you're, you're 100% right about that, Rob. Totally.
2: Why do you think there's been such a resurgence in the interest and in the number of people who want to practice witchcraft in the uh, 21st century?
3: Uh, I think that uh, people, you know, are are coming to terms with the fact that uh, a spiritual life is part Mm -hmm. and parcel to a human life. I mean, not for everybody, but it is part of the human experience. And I think that as we get more uh, uh... go further along in the sciences um, you know science and scientific methodology is a great way to get rid of dogma but so while people may be abandoning organized religion they are finding a new sense of spirituality and As you said earlier, Rob, that, um, you know, witches were always seen as, you know, the protectors of nature. And there, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. You have people that, you know, are kind of turning to that because the science is showing that it's like we do have this connection to nature. And, you know, a walk through the woods is good for you and giving a tree a hug is good for you. And you know what? Not just stopping to smell the flowers, but actually speak to them and listen to them is also very good for you. So I think it's just a natural progression of uh, people removing the shackles of dogma, but still wanting that deep spiritual connection i would imagine uh,
2: based on what i've seen firsthand that people are beginning to realize this in every class of society and they're getting back to nature and it's it's wonderful to watch it's wonderful to see yes
3: yes absolutely how long have you been a uh, practicing witch for so i would say absolutely practicing mm-hmm. about 20 years of more of like more of the hardcore stuff mm-hmm. when I really just accepted it and buckled down and said, yes, this is me, about 20 years. But before that time, I did have a kind of vague spirituality about me. I, I've always been kind of a fertility goddess worshiper. Um, when Um The day I was born, I mean, I, I am a worshiper of Gaia. And I will say, I mean, she's been in my heart since day one. I, there's never been a time in my life that I haven't felt like Gaia's had her hand on my shoulders guiding me uh, through life. In the, much the same way, you know, a Christian might feel mm-hmm. that about Jesus. And I don't have any animosity towards Christians or, or any animosity towards anybody. Or maybe a Buddhist might feel that way about Buddha. Uh, I feel that way about Gaia. So it, she's just always been there. And it, I guess it took um, both my brother kind of forcing me. You know, to start, you know, really practicing the craft and then also discovering magic mushrooms and and seeing, oh, wow, this really like, like never did Gaia's voice echo so loudly in my heart than during that first uh, mushroom experience.
2: No disrespect meant here, Tom, but how do you know if you're taking a psychedelic that what you're hearing is real and not a figment of your imagination?
3: That's a, that's an excellent question. And, and there's no, no disrespect taken because that's, you know, I, I would think that myself, you know, if, if I hadn't had that experience, Mm -hmm. Uh, the truth of the matter is, and it's difficult to, to put it in words, but you can actually tell, um, you can tell that it's, it's someone and, and not you. And I would also say that those that that voice will sometimes tell you things that are rather unpleasant about yourself and if i were kind of making it all up Mm -hmm. you know i would be saying oh wow i'm such a great guy and everybody loves me and i can do no wrong right i I would be very self-congratulating but the truth is you know when i need a talking to from mother gaia i mean she tells me the things that i don't want to hear but that i really do need to hear so you know if again if i were making it all up i'd be a lot nicer to myself about it and I, i would probably tell myself much nicer things than you know when Gaia says hey you know you're kind of falling off here or you know you need to be a little bit kinder uh, you know if it were my ego it would just mm-hmm. be like oh yeah everything's hunky-dory.
2: Wow isn't that the truth. Tom stand by you and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour and Dexon Nation our guest of this hour is Tom Hatsis. his website is www.psychedelicwitch.com and Tom and I will be coming back to further talk about witchcraft his his three books and what i'm going to ask tom when we come back is if one of you out there listening tonight believes or thinks they might be a witch at heart how can they be sure this is the exxon i am rob mcconnell a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard monday through friday from 10 p.m eastern until 2 a.m eastern right here from our broadcast center and studios in hamilton ontario canada don't go away Thanks, Tom Hatzis is our guest of this hour. He is the Psychedelic Witch. His website is www.psychedelicwitch.com. So, Tom, how can somebody listening tonight know whether or not they, like you, are a witch at heart?
3: Uh, great question. So, in my book, Microdosing Magic, mm-hmm. I have a, a spell called the Witchy Baptism. And I would say that if you were up for trying this spell, you definitely are a witch. Um, so if it appeals to you, and I'll just explain what it is real quick, if it appeals to you, if you hear it and you're like, oh wow, I want to go do that, mm-hmm. chances are you're a witch. If you hear it and you're like, that is not something I'd ever want to do, you probably aren't a witch. So the uh the witchy baptism uh is a cleansing. So you uh you you would um you eat a large meal, mm-hmm. uh Typically something high in protein and you go into the woods or at least I should say I go into the woods and I'll draw uh, using sticks and leaves and rocks. I'll make a large circle on the ground and then um, just, you know, using my hand or a stick, I'll draw a star in the middle of the circle, making a pentacle. Then in the center of the pentacle, I will dig a hole um i will then take all of my clothes off everything socks and shoes included and i will roll around on the ground getting the dirt and the leaves and everything all over me and then i will squat over that hole uh smoke a joint and defecate then i will go into a river and wash myself off that is the witchy baptism so if you just said gross you are not a witch if you just said yeah i'm gonna do that you're probably a witch
2: I guess up here in Canada, there's going to be a lot of witches because uh, marijuana is legal here in Canada now, as of the October seventeenth. The so there you go. Yeah. Uh, what is? Uh, yeah, wh- I heard. Yeah. What is the What is the significance of defecating in the circle, in the hole?
3: Uh, it's a, So what it is is you are making art with the smelliest, stinkiest part of yourself you're taking your waste you're taking the thing that all of us get rid of and all of us reject mm-hmm. that part of us that we all reject and you're turning it into something beautiful and magical
2: so you instead of becoming a picasso you're becoming a, a crap asshole
3: <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, sure what, what if you want to think of it that yeah.
2: way, definitely you you were saying that prior to smoking <laughs> the joint and squatting and defecating, you roll in on the ground and you get yourself covered with leaves and grass and so on now do you do that within the circle
3: yeah, within the circle exactly
2: so exactly. B- am I correct in understanding that the formation of the circle is something like a protection for you,
3: yes. Yes, exactly. Um, I was speaking before about the uh, the power of mm-hmm. symbols that speak to you, yeah. and uh, pentacles have always spoken to me as a very uh, powerful symbol of sacred geometry.
2: So, what is the origin of the pentacle? How did that? How did the pentacle get associated with the occult, uh,
3: Satan, as well as witchcraft? Well, that goes back to uh, Pythagoras, mm-hmm. and um, it's it, it's it's Pythagorean uh, um, geometry, really. How it eventually got associated. With uh, witches and witchcraft, I honestly don't know that. And that's, that's a really great question. I'm not sure of when that transition actually took place.
2: Let's talk about your second book, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions. Uh, first of all, uh, what are theogens?
3: So the theogens is a word I came up with to describe different kinds of psychedelic states mm-hmm. I should let your listeners know that I use the term um, psychedelic as a base word and I use different kinds of theogens like entheogen extheogen poetogen as Adjectives so for example a, a word that I'm sure your audience is familiar with will be the word entheogen entheogen which I didn't coin is means when you take a psychedelic in a spiritual setting you're entheogen you're generating divinity inside the self now sometimes however you're not actually generating divinity inside yourself but outside yourself like if you're invoking a goddess or invoking an aeon or even just eating mushrooms and going to try to connect with ufos well that i call an ex-theogenic experience you're generating divinity outside yourself Other terms, like, um, so it's it's pretty much uh, well understood that psychedelics enhance the creative process, but there's no word for that. So I coined the term poetogen, which means to use a psychedelic for art. So that's what the theogens are. And I go over in my book the different theogens, because when you look back in the ancient records Mm -hmm. and the different mystery traditions and magic and witchcraft and ceremony, people were using these these kinds of plants and herbs and mushrooms for um, for ways that are not really psychedelic or entheogenic. So I had to come up with different terms to place these experiences within their historical context. So how did the ancient Christians
2: use psychedelic plants? And, you know, how how did they find out? Was it just by chance that this plant is psychedelic, these mushrooms are psychedelic and those aren't?
3: Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, there were so those are two different questions as far as to the the second question. How do people find out that was just centuries of trial and error and trial and error in the remote past? Um, that many probably got sick or unfortunately passed away, you know, during that long, arduous, you know, human experiment of uh, determining these plants. Now, as far as Christians discovering them, well, most Christians were just pagans converting to Christianity. So, in my book, *Psychedelic Mystery Traditions*, I show how, especially with Paul of Tarsus, how his invention of the Eucharist at the Last Supper is actually what gave pagans the green light to bring their psychedelic bruise and their own Eucharist, their, their, for lack of a better word, uh, pagan Eucharist, into their new religion you also had Christians and pagans often intermarried in fact it was one of the things that that really the church fathers complained about so you, you have this mingling there of, of different people um, and and with that you're going to get different plants and different herbs and different recipes now as far as how Christians actually used psychedelics in the ancient and medieval worlds I found three broadly speaking categories of how they use them. Um, the first is a somnotheogenic way which is another theogen uh somnotheogen means generating divinity in the dream world right and you would have oh excuse me i said right Okay, sorry, um, and you would have uh, Christians mm-hmm. that uh, were finding holy orders to be a little too strict, like they, they couldn't give up the vices of drinking and going to the pubs and, and talking to women. So the church father said, well, what you need to do is take a strong drink of opium or a strong drink of mandrake and knock yourself into a Bolivian in Christ. That's what they called it. So you would take this mandrake drink, and again, it causes very vivid and lucid dream states, and you would meet Jesus in the dream realm. So that was one way Christians used these, uh, these extraordinary plans. Another way they did it was with just um, with uh, celebrations the same way people today uh, you know somebody at a new year's party who maybe doesn't often smoke cannabis will be like oh it's new year's i'm with my friends i'll hit that joint well christians in 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 history were no different and they very much loved their, their christmas celebrations their epiphany celebrations their easter celebrations and Uh, going to the christmas celebrations which grew out of saturnalia which was a, a roman festival from december 17th to december 23rd and was very well known to have all kinds of psychedelic beverages being passed around well that's probably where christians got that idea and you know also from yule uh the Yule celebrations in northern Europe where they were putting mushrooms like probably Amanita Muscaria and Henbane and other things in their beers and their spirits uh to communicate with their gods. And, you know, Christians just picked up on this. And again, we have to remember there was no war on drugs back then. People didn't schedule drugs, they scheduled practices. Um, the third way that Christians use these things is actually kind of disconcerting. They seem to be trying to de-paganize the masses using psychedelics in the same way in, um, in America, in the 1950s, the CIA was trying to use psychedelics to brainwash people for possible use against POWs. And, you know, when you look back in history, you actually find that that um, medieval inquisitors were doing the same thing to people accused of witchcraft. They would drug them in the torture rooms. And then when they started to feel, you know, the effects of, of this substance that the inquisitor would bring the other priests and say, look, she's crazy. See, the devil's got her. You know, we have to execute her. So that would be, I would say, the three ways uh, in history that Christians um, use these, and probably many more. It's just the records are very fragmented and sca- uh, you know, scanty, so we have to just pull from them what we can. But again, they did not schedule drugs yet. Yeah. So the, these uh, Christians wrote openly about their drug use. Uh, Theodoret, who was a bishop of Syria in the 5th century, wrote openly that he loved to smoke henba- uh, excuse, uh, uh, opium, smoke opium and read from the Gospels to find the deeper meanings. Well, we
2: know that many of the rock stars that we have today, or especially in the '60s, use psychedelic drugs all the time. You know, in fact, uh, Paul McCartney got to get you into my life is all about his his lust for cannabis.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I mean, Sergeant Pepper is pretty yeah, much oh. a love letter to the psychedelic state. Exactly, exactly. Mind you,
2: uh, you know, when when you look at life and and the relationships that all our societies and cultures have, you look at Christmas. Christmas as you pointed out was a derivative of the pagan holidays you know the yule log the tree in the house um you know eggnog and the the list goes on yeah It's, it's a wonder we can't get along in this great big world of ours with all the intermingling that we've had throughout the ages yeah, it,
3: it would be nice if people realized that we have far more in yeah. common than we have differences. Isn't that the truth?
2: Tom, stand by. We've got to take our final break. And, Exonation, if you'd like to find out more about my guest this hour, Tom Hatzis, the Psychedelic Witch's website is www.psychedelicwitch.com. And uh, his three books are The Witch's Ointment, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, and Microdowsing Magic. And we'll be talking about a couple more of his books when we return on the other side of this break. As we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Explanation. my guest this hour is Tom Hatsis. His website is psychedelicwitch.com. First of all, Tom, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a great hour with you. Thank you very much for sharing uh, this this wealth of information that I would imagine very few people listening today had ever heard of. But I uh, but I do suggest that they go to your website and definitely buy your books. Are your books available on amazon.com as well?
3: They are. They're available on the website, uh-huh. on my website. They're available on Amazon and at uh, fine pagan and Wiccan bookstores everywhere.
2: All righty. Um, a third book that you wrote, you know, in, in the genre that we're talking about tonight is Dowsing Magic. And how does microdowsing uh, differ from, you know, dowsing magic?
3: So, microdosing is just the practice of taking small amounts of either psilocybin or LSD. Mm-hmm and you pretty much just go about your day in that you know you don't really do anything other than take the substance. Whereas with um, any magician or witch will tell you that no substance should ever replace actual practice in the craft or practice in ceremonial magic. So what microdosing magic is is a different approach to just taking a microdose, whereas there's a lot of intention behind why you're microdosing. So um, for example, some a regular microdosing schedule might be Monday through Friday and you take Saturday and Sunday off and that's been recommended by the great mycologist Paul Stamets others like Jim Fadiman would recommend taking a microdose one day and then taking two days off then a microdose then two days off Mm -hmm. whereas and both of those are perfectly excellent cycles, and I've run them myself but with microdosing magic what you're doing is actually basing when you take your dose off of either Germanic runes or sacred geometry and um, having an intention, a magical intention behind it. So um, one of the uh, my favorite ones to uh, cycles to run is again going back to the pentacle cycle. And you just you can make one of these on graph paper, and in my book I have instructions how to uh, how to make one of these. And you just dot out on a graph paper, you know, the points of a star or a moon or some symbol that really you know strikes a chord with you and then you take the dose on those days you also don't just take the dose but when i take my microdose i first med- like i take the dose then i meditate for a half hour and then i switch to visualization for the second half hour so for me m- taking a microdose is actually an hour long process so I would say that that's a bit major difference. And in my book, uh, you know, anybody that's interested in pick it up, they'll see very quickly that there's a there's a big difference in, in um, the amount of positive results that you'll see with microdosing magic rather than just microdosing.
2: Well, what are some of the side effects or, or dangers of microdosing?
3: Sure. So if you have... Um, any kind of heart issues, mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't microdose. If uh, you're taking SSRIs, don't microdose. Uh, you could uh, develop um, or experience, I should say, what's known as serotonin syndrome, which while not you know uh, lethal, is just unbelievably unpleasant. And um, uh, if you have a history, a family history of um, mental illness, uh, you probably shouldn't be uh, fooling around with any of these things. So, but if you're a... a, a you know a healthy person sound in mind and body um a microdose is is not going to really harm you in any way
2: so how does one build a psychedelically magical mind because i'm sure that's what a lot of people would like to do when they when they get into microdosing
3: Great. So going back to I was talking about my uh, my process of mm-hmm. uh, how I take the dose and yeah. I'll meditate and visualize that would be the best way at least for me to build that psychedelically magical mind because what happens is when you first meditate for that half hour and quiet your mind the reason you're doing it in, in a half hour interval is that so I, I usually micro usually I always microdose with mushrooms because um, meditation like mushrooms take about a half hour for you to feel the effects like any experienced meditator uh, will tell you that you know the, the time it takes to really quiet your mind and get into a really deep meditative state meditative state is about a half hour now since gaia loves us so much and wants what's best for us mushrooms also start to uh, have some effect in the body after a half hour So once I start feeling a little bit of the effects of the dose, I switch to visualization because what this does is it's like adding extra weights to a barbell. Visualization by itself is very difficult. Visualization, when your creative juices and and, and your cellular network are firing, is a lot more difficult. And I found that... um, Uh, The more I was able to hold these visualizations, uh, the more I was seeing the results of my spell work uh, in my life. I should say that all psychedelic witchcraft and all psychedelic magic has to do with casting spells on yourself only not on anybody else because that would interfere with their will so the way the reason i know that this is working actually is that you and i are talking right now rob i put it out into the universe and I, I did my magic to get more interviews for these books and here we are
2: wow you know um is there a certain age limit when we look at microdose dosing uh you know a lot of kids listen to this show and a lot of teens oh what are we what 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 should they you know what are, what is your words of wisdom when it comes to to kids and and the taking of microdosing as well as any psychedelic drug?
3: Um, I would say first and foremost, um, wait. Yeah. If you're a teenager, wait. Let let your mind develop. And it's only if you're in your late teens, your your brain starts stops excuse me developing around the age twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. And so I would suggest, strongly encourage you to wait till then um because your brain is the most important tool you have and you don't want to be messing with it before it's fully developed i mean you in in the same way i mean if you were cooking a pie you know halfway through it you can't now throw new ingredients into that or you're going to ruin the pie that's right when the pie is done you know then you could put some whipped cream on top some cherries and it's going to be a great pie but if you put the the whipped cream and cherries on top while it's still in the oven you're going to ruin it so i would say wait a little bit Mm -hmm. um Know what you're doing. Don't ever put anything in your body if you're not sure. Um, start off very, very small. And um, on my website, there is a contact form. If you have any questions at all, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions specifically with regards to safety. Because if we're going to, if we're really serious about using yeah. these tools of human enlightenment, we have to make sure that everybody stays safe.
2: Do you, do you think that the the use of psychedelics as well as the, uh, the dosing is becoming more acceptable by society, and do you think there will become a time when it too, like cannabis is up here in Canada, is legal?
3: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, also up in Canada, you guys just went into, or might have just gotten out of, I should say, um, uh, phase two testing for MDMA therapy yes. uh, for PTSD and depression. Yeah. Uh, here in the states, um, the FDA, which is our you know governing uh, um, substance body right. here, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, they just. Um accepted and are now running tests with psilocybin uh, mushrooms to treat PTSD and depression. The truth of the matter is, the science is all on our side, and all of the propaganda of yesteryear, I mean, it's all coming to light how much we've been lied to, especially during the Nixon administration, Mm. about all these things. So the good guys are winning, and we should celebrate that, but we should also make sure that we stay very careful and diligent and not do anything uh, foolish or silly with these medicines while we're on the cusp of a greater acceptance of them.
2: In your opinion, what has been, or what is the most rewarding event that has happened in your life due to a spell that you have cast on yourself?
3: Wow, the most rewarding. Uh, for, for a spell that I've cast on myself, I would say so this past year, uh, using microdosing dosing, uh, creativity, magic techniques. And again, I outlined them in, in my book. I finished two books and uh, my partner and I are actually about to win a Guinness world, the Guinness world record for magic.
2: Wow. Congratulations so, on that.
3: Thank you. Yeah, and this is just uh, from from using just my own my own spells and my own spell work, and not focusing on trying to change anybody else's will, but making sure that my spells align my will with my life. And it's not about putting on a veneer, and it's not about saying the right things. Mm-hmm. You use psychedelics to find your authentic self. Your authentic self is a reflection of the larger universe. That's the cosmos that wanted you. Wanted your perspective. So you have to make sure that your perspective is heard because you are a slice of all that is.
2: Tom, we're coming to the time where you and I must say so long for tonight, but I do want to thank you again for coming on the show. And in 35 to 40 seconds, what are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation tonight?
3: You free your mind by using your brain. Wow. It's that
2: plain. It's that simple. And it's that true. I once, think so. <laughs> once again, Tom, uh give us give our listeners your website as well as where they can get your books, please.
3: Sure. Uh you could uh reach me at psychedelicwitch.com or facebook.com slash the psychedelic witch. I also have an Instagram account that's at witchydelic, W-I-T-C-H-Y. D-E-L-I-C and um, my books are available on the website as long as some videos are on the website and actually my partner and I are editing even more videos because we just got back from tour so there's going to be a lot more coming up Uh, there are some articles that I've written and um, yeah if you ever just want to um, if you have any questions about anything I'm always happy to field questions if you want to yell at me or call (laughs) me names the forum is a great place to do that as well. So. Yeah, hopefully uh, we'll keep this conversation going far into the future and change as many lives for the better as possible.
2: All right, count us in on that, will you, Tom?
3: Five, oh wait, four, three, two, one.
2: There you go. All right, XO Nation, our guest this hour has been Tom Hattis, Hatsis, I should say, H-A-T-S-I-S. His website is psychedelicwitch.com, and uh, we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the XO from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
1: Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto.